On this episode of First Lady and Friends, I had a great conversation with Emily Amon. She's a mom. She is a mom of a child that has an intellectual disability, and he has participated in unified sports with the Special Olympics. Her experience is powerful as a parent, and it's fun to listen to her share with us today. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. On this episode, I have an incredible person that I just met. Her name is Emily Amon, but we have a love of Special Olympics Unified Sports together. But the unique thing is that she is a mom of one of the athletes. So welcome to the program, Emily. So happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited. You you and I had an experience um, at Brighton High School a, a few weeks ago, um, and, and we'll get into that, and I, I want to deep dive into your ex- experience as a parent, but let's first talk about you. Uh, tell me about uh, where you grew up. Tell me a little bit about your family, uh, all that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, so I grew up mostly in Utah. I was born in Cache Valley, and um, we moved around a bit as my dad uh, rejoined the Army. And so when I was seven, we ended up back in Cache Valley, and um, I went to school there and got to enjoy the small town life there. Um, I was the youngest of six kids, and then we had two bonus kids when I was a little bit older. Um, so I'm exactly the middle child, even though there's eight of us, um, but by age I'm the middle, and um, we're still now my family is all over the United States, but we still get together. And um, yeah, I went to school at Utah State University. Go Aggies. Um, that's right. And <laughs> um, I met my husband there and um, we were married and we had our first child uh, five days after we graduated. Oh, well. So I got um, started right into motherhood as soon as I graduated. Um, we came to Salt Lake City when uh, my daughter was was just under one, and um, we've been here uh, most of the time there. We uh, got to spend two years living abroad for my husband's work. We went to England, and we got to take our kids, and um, and then we've been back. We're in Sandy now, and I have four children. My uh, youngest has a uh, unique um, genetic mutation. It's called Kleefstra syndrome. And um, so he was born with this mutation. And at about nine months old, we figured out that um, there was something going on, something different about him. And um, maybe we'll talk about that some more. But uh, eventually he's diagnosed with Kleefstra syndrome and autism spectrum disorder. Uh, And it's been a really unexpected journey, but he has been uh, one of the greatest teachers Mm -hmm. um, in my life and and in our family and um, it's been uh, really a, a huge growing experience to to be his mother. Mm. Tell me a little bit about your experience in England. Uh, what was that like um, with with little kids? And were you right in London? Where were you at? Uh, we were about an hour east of London, a place called Colchester. I'm in East Anglia, where it does not rain all the time. We were expecting it to rain all the time, but actually that's the sunny side of England. Um, We had a really wonderful experience uh, as we were considering moving there. Um, Everett was two years old, and our biggest concern was whether or not they would have um, the resources that we needed. Um, And um, we found that they did. We decided to go for it, and and we had a really incredible opportunity there where they included him in the – it's called a village school – 
And so he got to go to the mainstream school and be a part of the community there. And um, it was really neat. I would tell people that picking Everett up from school was um, was like being with a celebrity. That <laughs> You know, everybody, every kid, all of the adults are, hi, Everett. Hey, Everett. High five, Everett. And it was really, really amazing to see mm-hmm. him be included and um, to see him be a part of of, uh, of something bigger and to have that sense of belonging. Um, he, uh, while the sources, the resources there are very different than they are here. Um, I wouldn't say that they are, are less or more. Um, we had a wonderful experience and, and he had really amazing, um, opportunities there. And, and when we came back, we were able to jump back into the things here and we've had a great experience with the, um, special education, uh, uh, at uh, in Canyon School District, they've been wonderful. All the teachers that we've had there, mm. and um, and then we were really excited when he was eight years old. Um, he qualified to be part of the Special Olympics. He could participate in sports, and with him, we've always tried to get um, get him involved in whatever way we could. Um, when he was first diagnosed, he was um, he was pretty distant like as a baby he was a really easy baby at one point we had we went I, I went on a 13-hour road trip with my four children just myself and my four oh, children wow. and he was like one years old at the time and he was a dream the whole way like he was absolutely amazing and and I was like wow this is the best kid ever like what a gift this fourth child is and then you know as, as we started getting diagnosis diagnoses we realized that um he was he was just he was distant for a different reason um, that he was experiencing the world very differently than how we experience it and um, and uh, when he was first diagnosed um, he was it was really hard and we didn't know what the future was going to hold for him um, you know when you, when you get a diagnosis like that um, it's like the dreams that you had for your child that you didn't understand were there you didn't know that you had these dreams for your child but they're all washed away and as soon as they wash away you realize that they were there yeah i i think this is a really important point i want to i want to make sure that we don't like just skip over this because um you know my background in special education you know i got i got kids that came to school and you know i'd watch parents drop them off and i remember getting to the end of the school day and thinking i am exhausted but I'm sending this child home and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sending these kids home and I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing dinner and bedtime and day in and day out and every, you know, waking moment thinking and worrying about this child and, 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 and all the things that, that go with it. So I, I want to talk really specifically about that moment and, and sort of the, yeah, the process mentally, physically, spiritually that you have to go through or you did go through. I mean, there's sort of a grieving process, I, I would assume, of of expectations, not grieving that you're I mean, it's it's just I don't know. Maybe you should explain it. <laughs> OK, talk, yeah. Yeah. No. Talk about it. Yeah. You are spot on. There absolutely is a um, a time of grieving. And with my son's uh, diagnosis of Kleefster syndrome, we have a Facebook group. And um, do, can you do, will you just explain that syndrome and just maybe talk about I, I've not heard of it. I think most of the listeners probably haven't heard of it. Uh, you know, it's obviously in the category of rare diseases. 
So talk a little bit about what it is and, and sort of how that how it manifests. So Kleefstra syndrome is a genetic deletion on the ninth chromosome. So the end of the the ninth chromosome is missing or mutated. Um, in Utah, when um, when uh, your child has some sort of uh, is, is delayed, mm-hmm. you can just call. In fact, anywhere in the United States, you can call. Um, uh, a hotline, I think it's like baby or baby, something like that, and um, and they will send people to your home to do testing, and it's free and it's very quick, um, and um, and that's kind of the first step. Like we had talked to the doctors about it, and we'd we'd wondered about him uh, missing milestones, you know, being able to hold his head up or being able to sit up, and um, and things that we would be expecting him to do. Some uh, a lack of uh, of of eye contact mm-hmm. at one point. I mean. Kids, kids are great, and all kids are different. And there was definitely interaction, and um, he, you know, he was acknowledging that we were there. But there were moments that he wouldn't like; he would just kind of check out. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned to my husband, like, you know, maybe we need to get this checked out. And he's like, No, I don't. Like, I don't. I don't know if this is a thing. And um, and then he came home from work one day, and Everett was um, laying on the ground outside. And he said, and he looks at me, and he's like, Watch this. And he walks up, kind of behind him, and um, and he's like, Everett. Everett and there was zero response mm-hmm. um and that was when it was like okay yeah there's something going on we need to we need to get this checked out and so we called this line and the early intervention specialist came to our home I think it was the next week and um they go through this series of testing um I believe there's there's like seven tests or nine tests and um, he scored basically zero on most of them mm-hmm. and I thought that I was ready for that. I thought that that I knew like, okay, there's something going on and I had accepted that there was something going on. But in that moment, it was it was like that wave just washed away everything that I thought was going to be his life. And it was really hard for me. I couldn't I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know. All all I knew is that he was developmentally delayed at a global developmental delay. So it's not something you can Google, like you're not going to get a lot of information. And as a parent, you naturally just learn from other parents and kind of get an idea of what's going on and what to expect. But as soon as your kid has something like this, and it's like, oh, you, have, you have zero experience, you have zero modeling for it. And and it just felt so foreign, so out of reach, and that, that I couldn't, I, I didn't have a way to understand what was happening. I didn't know how to help him. And And then I really began to have this fear that, I wouldn't be able to love him. And and I don't think everybody would have this. Like, for whatever reason, like, that was my thing. Was like, am I going to be able to love him well enough? Like, if he, if he can't do anything, if he can't do stuff, you know, and... and um and I don't know exactly where that came from, but this was, this was very real for me. And there was just a, a few weeks there that I just kind of checked out of life and just kind of stayed at home and mm-hmm. and tried to kind of process what was going on, tried to Google stuff and look stuff up and, and figure out how I was going to handle this. And there was this really specific moment that I was um, in the in the backyard just holding him and he's he was really floppy and um and but also really smiley and had sparkly eyes and and I'm holding him and and I just sent up this prayer like like what am I going to do and um and in that moment my heart just opened and I got this answer that he was exactly who he needed to be and that he had a purpose here and that he was going to shine and there was there's kind of little, I can't describe it exactly in words. I think our heart speaks to us without words sometimes. But but in that moment, I knew it was going to be okay. 
honestly, there there was also this little bit of he's going to cause a lot less heartache than any of your other children. That was wow. that was part of that message because um, kids are they have a lot of life and a lot of opportunity before them and um, and. And there's just there's going to be hard things. No matter what your kid has, there will be hard things. And um, so I don't I don't want any, anyone to think that this is some sort of exception or or different, um, you know, exceptionally different than other children, because um, uh, it, it's it's the same, but it's yeah. a different kind of same. Um, when he was. Um, about one years. OK, actually, on his first birthday. Gonna go into some random stories here. No, you're on, good. His, yeah. on his first birthday, we went on. Um, my husband and I were asked to go on on trek with the local um, the local uh, church congregation, and and we um, and we left him on his first birthday, which was kind of rough, right? And um, and we decided to bring a birthday candle with us, and um, and so we're having cornbread in the in the fields of Wyoming, and. Um, <laughs> And these, uh, and, and we're like, hey, you know, it's our son's birthday. It's his first birthday, so we're going to do this candle. And this kid walks over, and he clearly has autism, and he was from a different family. And um, he walks over, and, and our kids, you know, our pretend kids, they are, were so warm and welcoming to him. They knew his name. They were not condescending in any way. They were his friend, and they were excited to see him, and they were joking with him and having a good time with him. And then we sang happy birthday, and we were like, oh, well, who's going to blow out the candle? And he said, well, I will. (laughs) Of course you will. (laughs) Like that. It was just a really kind of special message that, and and just that moment of seeing there is a place for our Mm -hmm. son and that place is made by the people around him. And as our, our youth and as all the people around us are opening up that space and accepting people for exactly who they are, there will always be a place for him. Oh, that is so beautiful. Okay, I want to continue talking about this and, and the way that we connect over Special Olympics, and we'll do that when we come right back. We're back here on First Lady and Friends with Emily Amon. She's a mom, and um, she is a lots of other amazing things as well. And um, But we connected through Special Olympics, uh, Unified Sports, and through our team. Um, but I want, to, I want to continue on this conversation about you know, sort of our expectations for our kids and how they change. We were talking during the break about um, a book that I, I've mentioned on this podcast before, Love That Boy, and and just our parental expectations. We all have to reevaluate at times what we expect for our kids and, and how those those things change based on what we learn. <laughs> so talk a little bit more maybe about how you navigated through the changing expectations after after his diagnosis, after Everett was diagnosed. Yeah, that's definitely something that was, in a way, it was on my mind from the beginning. And I think mm-hmm. that, as I mentioned, that I just had this fear like I wouldn't be able to love him. And I think that was coming from like these expectations that I had that we perform and because we perform, we become something. And that's, that's where our value comes from. Mm-hmm. And that um, I was... In that somehow I had I had adapted this way of thinking that was what we do determines how valuable we are mm-hmm. and and that has been just completely turned on its head by him um, was something I wrote about uh, with him is that you know as you as you watch him try to learn things and he's learning these things that that take all of this intervention right we had early intervention specialists coming into our home eventually we had other types of therapists. Um, 
we had uh, occupational therapy, we had speech therapy, we had um, applied behavioral analysis therapy. And um, and so we have all of these professionals working with him to try to get him to learn the things that came so naturally, the things that I didn't even realize my other children had been learning yeah. as they were going. And it just really started to, to open up this idea that like, People are amazing. We are amazing. And who am I to ever judge my my kid and be like, oh, like, like I don't know how your grades are there. You know, like you you could maybe do a little better when like it should be like when you have a kid like this, like everything turns into like, wow, like you were able to get on the bus by yourself yes. today. That's incredible. Like think of how amazing you are and, and all how the amazing long it you took do. to get to that moment. You know, all the work that it took to get to those little moments that we most of us and for your other kids that we take for granted. That, that those things are going to happen, like you said. So I love the idea that, you know, you're, you're figuring this out and, and appreciating those moments. Yeah. And, you know, ex- speaking of expectations, also you have to change your kind of your daily expectations of like how our vacation's going to go mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, what's, what's dinner time going to look like and, um, and, uh, yeah, like how we're going to spend time as a family. Um, another experience I had, we were um, we were on this hike. My son was about, I think he was probably about 18 months old. And so it's still kind of new that he has this disability. But we had um, gotten into this incredible program. Um, it's called Floor Time Play to Learn. And um, and we had been learning from um, from this teacher about how to meet your child exactly where they are and to connect by letting them lead and by creating moments of joy together that just like just connecting. And um, so we were on this hike. It was a really simple hike down in Canyonlands. We were with another family and it was a, it was supposed to be just a simple, easy, um, everyday thing to do. And uh, he had developed this obsession, as as kids with autism can do, of drawing giraffes. <laughs> and um, and he actually was nonverbal until he was six years old, um, which is a story in itself that was really amazing to to witness. But he had a way of communicating with people, and he's always had just this ability to connect with people. That while we say that he's disabled in another way, like he is super abled in this way that we don't talk about, um, and that we don't have a way to measure. Um, this this way of the heart that he has in connecting with other people. And so he could like kind of sign like giraffe and kind of, you know, like point at things and be like, please draw me a giraffe, essentially. Um, and so it was really sandy. And he kept asking me um, to draw a giraffe and he wanted to stop. And he's like whining and crying. He's, you know, in the carrier on my back. And I'm getting so frustrated. I'm like, I just like, I just want to go on a hike. This is a simple thing. I'm with my friends. I just want to go on a hike. Like autism, don't take this away from me. So I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, why did we come on this vacation anyway? And then I had this aha moment of thinking about what I had learned in this class that I had come to draw giraffes in the sand and mm-hmm. to connect with my son. And so I stopped trying to catch up with the other people and and I let him down and I got a stick and we drew giraffes in the sand and then we would walk 20 feet and draw a giraffe in the sand and then we would walk backwards 20 feet and draw a giraffe in the sand. And so I've been able to adjust this expectation that maybe instead of going on a hike, like we'll just go outside, we'll just find a beautiful place to be, to um, to sit together, to enjoy nature and um, and to do what he wants to and to follow his lead mm-hmm. and just the beauty that comes from following your child's lead instead of always trying to lead them. Gosh, that's that's so incredible, and uh, and something again. There's so many lessons that you learn painfully that we should all learn 
um, as parents. And, and I think that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, talk a little bit about as he's grown in school. I, I, I've, I've shared this before. Um, I had a, a, it was a, it was a, a person who graduated from high school, you know, recently. And I was asking him about his experience. He had a physical disability and he was telling me that, you know, I said, Art, were you bullied? And I was talking about, you know, his experience. And he said, no, I, wa- I wasn't bullied. People were friendly, but they weren't my friend. And there's a difference. And I've, I'm because he said that to me, I have not stopped thinking about it and that what that means for um, our all of our kids with all different abilities and what it means to the difference between, of course, we want people to be friendly. Of course, we don't want them to be mean, but there's one step further. Are we being a friend to someone that needs us? So talk maybe just a little bit about Everett's experience um, as he's grown up with friends and and how he's made friendships if he has. Well, Everett um, has um, always been drawn more to adults than to children. Mm -hmm. And um, developmentally, he is still very behind. Um, and so he hasn't had a, as much opportunity to be friends with peers. Mm-hmm. But the special Olympics opportunity that like that environment um, has provided that for him. Mm-hmm. And it is so amazing to watch these kids um, interact with each other. So on, in Special Olympics, you have your um, Special Olympic athlete who is a person with a intellectual disability. And then you have a unified partner, which is um, a person without a disability that is competing alongside them. So Special Olympics is the most inclusive place that you can be. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it is so beautiful. Um, sometimes with with a child with a disability, you you almost get like, they're, they're like the most exclusive club is a, being a mother of a child with a disability. And, um, and sometimes it can be kind of frustrating because it's like, well, my kid doesn't have that disability, but like, I still want to be your friend. Like, can I be part of your club? You know, but Special Olympics is anybody that wants to be a part of this and it really is an amazing experience to go to these events to go to practices to go to the competitions and to watch them love each other and just to be um the thing i feel about everett is that he knows that he matters and he knows that you matter Mm -hmm. and 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 then that's just how he exists and 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 it's just so it is Kind of, it's, it's really hard to describe, right? Like it's something that you feel, it's something you experience with your heart. So you just need to go to a Special Olympic competition, get involved with Special Olympics and, and just see what this is like. Um, the Special Olympics team that we're on right now, the Salt Lake Stars, um, we just started last year and, um, it was most, so it was, um, some Special Olympic athletes. And then we had some unified partners, and most of the unified partners are high schoolers. In fact, a lot of them were freshmen in high school. Um, And then our coaches, some of our coaches are seniors in high school. And then we have um, a mom that uh, when she was she was a collegiate dancer and now she's a mom. And um, and those are our coaches. And and then we have these awesome high schoolers. And if you listen to them talk about it. They uh, they love it. They talk about how inclusive, how encouraging, how um, how the friendship is just so natural there. And really, the only thing you need to do to matter there to fit in is to show up. <laughs> and it's just like there's nothing else like that. Um, so it's been really an amazing place for 
for Everett to feel like he belongs and to have a place to shine and to be himself and exactly who he's meant to be. Um, he can be pretty goofy and, you know, up on stage, he loves to give up. He's on a dance team right now and, um, and he loves to try to do the splits and I'm, like, he's a ham. He will get the, get the audience in any way that he can. Um, and, but he just, he knows that he belongs and he knows that he matters. And, um, as a mother, there's not really, you know, as we evaluate what we, what we want for our children, um, and reevaluate that. And that definitely came. What I want for my children is for them to feel like they belong. Mm. I don't need them to be the best at this or the best at that. I just want them to know that they belong and to have a chance to feel like they are capable and that they can work hard at something. It's so, it's so true. You know, I've been really kind of thinking a lot about this idea of belonging the last little while. And I love that you talked about that. Um, I, I noticed like during the pandemic, you know, it was such a unique and horrifically unique time. Um, in our, in the world basically to start to see some, I guess, behavioral, um, experiments, (laughs) I guess if that's what we can call it. But I, I thought, uh, it's so interesting that the power of belonging was so strong. It's so powerful. It's so a part of our need structure as humans that we will find it in hate when we can't find it in love. And so I, I guess to me, I love your experience of seeing belonging in the most loving, inclusive place and the Everett's finding that belonging. And I think you're exactly right. I think as humans, if we can continue to have those types of experiences, if we can find belonging for everyone in healthy and loving places, then I think we can get rid of the hateful places. I don't think we need them anymore. <laughs> I think we can all find that belonging and love, don't you think? I absolutely agree with that. And in a way, I feel like that's part of the purpose of these um, people that have these that are born with these differences than mm-hmm. us. And part of the the beauty of being together with um, people of all different abilities and and whatever kind of difference it is that. Um, that these people specifically with the disabilities really can show us that it's about being together. Like you matter because I'm with you. You matter because we're together because we are here walking side by side in this same space. And, and you don't have to perform for anybody. You don't have to be a certain, look a certain way, have a certain ability because you know, all of those things are really, they're just our genes. It's not really us. And you know, we can think like we're so smart or we're so capable. We're so good at this. And yeah, we can put work into it. And that's a beautiful thing too. But really like the only reason why we're able to do anything is because our genes are in the right place. And like that, that wasn't really our doing. So if we can just let go of, of waiting for somebody to be a certain something before you can love them and just love them. Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. Um, I want to continue this conversation and talk maybe next steps and what's what you see in the future. And we'll do that when we come right back. Okay, we're back here with Emily Amon, and we are just talking all things Special Olympics at this point because we're just we're both so enthralled with it, and that we just can't say enough good about the the Special Olympics. Um, I have to say that you know my just diving into the space. And of course I did special education is, is my background. So I, like I 
was aware of Special Olympics. I really wasn't involved in Special Olympics until um, I started in this role and and got more familiar. But I have to say, like last uh, a few months ago, I was actually in Washington D.C. and we were having we were there for for meetings for National Governors Association meetings. But I just happened to. Um, we we had a separate meeting with Tim Shriver, who's the who's the chair of the Special Olympics, and um, we've I've met with him on a number of occasions, and and he's actually there. His his group Unite is is going to be working with my husband and NGA initiative, but so it was kind of a separate meeting, and then we were, and he said to me at that meeting, he's like, "Come over and see." see our new our new place so i actually had a few minutes and and ran over to they're in the watergate building now just so you know special Olympics in the watergate building and uh saw their new they, you know there were still boxes and everything but it was really cool he walked me through that that space and talked to me about his mom eunice shriver eunice kennedy shriver who started the special olympics and um, you know, because her sister had an intellectual disability and she just the, the origins of the Special Olympics are so beautiful. You know, just this she didn't want her, you know, and at the time they were put away in institutions, people like that, people who, you know, these beautiful humans who have so much to teach us, like you say, were really being, you know, hidden away. And and Eunice really was a pioneer in making sure that they had a voice. And so walking through with her son from the seeing the pictures of all the the Special Olympics games from the very beginning, it was just it was so beautiful and I can't tell you I'm I've I've talked many times about going to the USA games last year in June but last June but this June I'm headed to Berlin to the International Special Olympics games and I I'm so excited. I can hardly stand it. But I want you to talk about your, you've talked a little bit about your experiences. Um, talk about, you know, maybe the changes that you've seen in in Everett as he's participated in the Special Olympics. Um, well, Everett, Everett is actually not my only child that's involved with the Special Olympics. Um, both of his sisters also um, are are with the Special Olympics. And um, so I would, if you don't mind, I'd love to yes, talk about the please. change I see oh, in I would all love of that. them. Yes. Um, for Everett, uh, it felt like this battle to try to find a place for him to be involved with something. You know, um, school is not a place that he is highly successful. You know, he can go to school and, and not feel like he's super capable, right? Yeah. Like he can, that's, that's a place where he would notice where he's falling short of his peers. And so I wanted him to have something, somewhere to belong, something that he can be excited about, somewhere that he can find joy. Because um, I think that's one of the biggest things that we can teach our children is to, is to um, I think that's what education is about, is to yeah. maximize their capacity for joy. So I wanted him to have these opportunities. And, um, you know, it took a lot of calling around like and trying to explain, like, this is what my son's like. Do you have a place for him? Could he participate at, at your neurotypical um, location of whatever it is? And um, and in kinder through kindergarten, you generally can find places that are very accepting. And we had some wonderful experiences. But after that, it they're just the divide is too big and 
and the the differences are are just too great, and it doesn't it's not a good fit anymore. And so as a mom, it just felt like I was I was um, going on this uphill battle. And then I was introduced to Special Olympics, and it was just this moment of it already exists. It's here for us. Like and and then I I got that chance to meet other mothers that had that have had these experiences, mothers of older children. Um, you know, some of the athletes on Everett's team are adults now. And so I get to talk to them and, and get that, that insight and that camaraderie. Um, so maybe I'm going to talk a little bit about what yes. it does for me yes, too. Please. That it's really amazing. Um, and, uh, lifting an inclusive place for the entire family. Um, as, um, so what we have Everett, that he has a place to belong, he has a place to shine, and just to be who he's meant to be and to find joy. And then for his sisters, they have a place where they get to show up that they don't have to perform, they don't have to be something else, and they're loved, and they're accepted, and they belong, and they get to know that they are making a difference, that mm-hmm. they are contributing to the experience of um, of these people that don't have as many experiences. Um, we One of the most... Incredible things we've gotten to do so far is uh, BYU invited the Salt Lake Stars to dance at a halftime performance, um, which was just was just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that three of my children got to dance in a college football game. And um, and they wow. – oh, the experience, the crowd, the people, the um, – just like what that was for him was – and for all of them was um, indescribable and such a high point. And um, – you know, I look back at myself sitting in the garden that one day, um, you know, wondering, like, what's his life going to be like? How are we going to do this? And then and now it's like already he's only eight years old. Already he's had these amazing experiences and he is shining and he is touching people and touching people's hearts. He's lifting them up and he just he's living his purpose. And to have a place where a child can do that, um, that, you know, a lot of doors are closed um, and and just naturally that happens, but um, to have this door open um, and really like it's the greatest door that you can have to have that place um, that you know that you matter. Yeah, Tuck, I, I often tell the story, and and I want you to tell it yourself because I tell this story of of the parents sitting in the audience. So you talked about you know him and your girls in in front of a stadium. I mean, a college football stadium full of of people cheering talk about if you can because <laughs> i get emotional telling about it and it's not even me but talk about what that means as a parent you know given that diagnosis in that moment and then fast forward those seven ish years when you're sitting in the stand at that ball game watching the entire place cheer for your child what does that feel like it feels like everything you wanted being a parent to feel like. It feels like those dreams that I had of my child becoming something great were for fulfilled. Mm. And they were great because because they existed, because they're here, and they're, they're great for the right reasons. Somehow Special Olympics, 
they um i don't know everything about their their origins but it sounds like it's a a great beginning they have captured all of the things that matter about competition you know it's a, i think it's a super appropriate name that it's the olympics because you know we watch the olympics and we're so inspired by people and when you watch the special olympics it's the same thing that you just are so inspired and they've taken the pieces of of competition that matter the very most in our hearts and they have captured that and um and i just would say to any parent out there that uh is recognizing that their child might have a diagnosis might have something that's going to be hard for them a a challenge that um that ha- that comes with a lot of unknowns i would just say don't don't fear there's a place for your child mm-hmm. yeah and and there's a beautiful life ahead for them oh that is so so great. And I couldn't have said it better. And, and I appreciate those sentiments. That's exactly how I've thought a parent would feel. <laughs> and you've articulated it so well. And, and I appreciate that. And I've seen that on the faces of parents in every event that we've done. And I've seen that in the hearts of, of the children that have, have succeeded in this way. And so I, I really appreciate your time and, and, and sharing with us these precious experiences. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Emily. Well, thank you.